0: You are listening to Paolo De Marco podcast with Alan Campbell.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Paolo De Marco podcast. Today on the show, we are interviewing Ross McCool. Tell us about your latest project called Nikola Tesla: The Man from the Future. <laughs> that's so funny that
0: that's the uh, the one you've picked out, um, <laughs> Nikola Tesla: Man from the Future. Yeah, it was um, a dear friend of mine. I, I actually shot a movie in Italy maybe two years ago Um, and one of the, there's an American movie that was shooting in Rome and it was a friend of mine who was directing. So when they came to me and said, Hey, would you come and play with us in Rome? I jumped at a chance. Um, And it's just one of those things, the circles that you run in the casting director that they had on board this film in Rome is uh, a very, um, a very uh, well respected and director in Italy actually um and she does a lot of the american uh, italian co-productions and so she came to me after we wrapped and said look i'm putting together this this really interesting piece of art um, would you be interested in coming on board and, and playing um george westinghouse and uh and i said absolutely aren't i a little thin to play george westinghouse <laughs> and she said sure but we'll put some uh, you know mutton chops on you and and uh, puff you up a little bit. Um, but it was actually, uh, we shot it in two ways. We, we shot the film version uh, actually on, you know, he shot it on film, um, but we also did it um, through VR. So there's a virtual reality version of it. And I know it's doing the rounds right now. Um, and I think they're trying to see if a TV show can be adapted from it. Um, but I am aware it's won a, won a bunch of awards around the world. But you know, that, was a, that was my Tesla. But it was such a quick, easy in and out job. It was a lovely thing to do but um that's why I laughed when that's what you brought up because I'd forgotten all about it
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh different process of it being on v r
0: it's uh it's completely different because you you they you know it's different cameras they use obviously and it's it's a whole setup that um you're not really working opposite another actor and you do it both ways. So so the camera is sort of in the center of the room and it's, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy, but I think it's taking a 360 degree, um, you know, image of that room while the scene is going on. And then they let me watch it through the VR binoculars, you know, the goggles that you put on. Um, and uh, it's incredible. You can literally walk around the subject. So I'm watching myself in character and as the viewer, I can walk around the back of me and I can stand right next to my face and you know then i can turn around and see what i'm what my character's looking at so it's, it's a it's a definitely a way of cinema telling i don't think it's the way of the future of cinema but it's it's definitely like another another medium that was you know fun to explore
1: how was it when you were 13 and appeared as freddie mercury in 1989 <laughs>
0: It was like a virtual reality experience.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, the the Queen video was um, one of those one of those jobs that constantly comes up in my life. Funnily enough, even you know thirty, forty years later, however long it is, you you can do the math. Eighty nine, you said? My God. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I've I've been in the entertainment industry since I was eleven. I was one of these kid actors jumping around doing this, that, and the other, and so. Uh, my love for film came on at an early age. Uh, the first movie set I was on was around that same time as the Queen video. and I remember it coming um, uh, coming through my agent at the time and every kid in the country was up for it. Um, I mean auditioning for it. So there was thousands of kids going through the audition process and I think um, I think every child a knew who Queen were, but on the other on the other hand, all of our parents were like even more excited. And I think that's what, what made everybody stand back and go, oh, this, this actually might be a thing. You know, this, this might be a, a cool thing because both my parents want to be there while I'm shooting this, you know. Um, and uh, it was a sort of rigorous audition process, but a lot of fun, you know, throwing yourself around the floor and, you know, um, having to learn the the song and then, they started whittling it down, and it got smaller and smaller and smaller and before I knew it, it was me and you know maybe three other possible Freddie's and um you know four members of the other bands, you know um four kids per character, I should say and then uh and then there I was rehearsing with queen um so you know, I was getting to hang out with Brian May and. Roger Taylor and John Deacon, Freddie wasn't there at that point um, because they were letting me be Freddie, rehearsed with the band. Um, So I was was a massive fan. I've been a music fan my my whole life, Um, but I was really like a Beatles guy really early on. And so Queen were always, you know, they were always being played in the house. My parents were big fans of Queen. And so I I knew them, I studied them. Uh, I, I learned the art of study for character, I guess at an early age. Uh, and then we went away and we shot. I don't even remember the studios we shot in, but it was it was one of the film studios in the UK. And it was, you know, um, only a couple of days work, but it was hugely exciting. You know, we're in fancy hotels. and um, During the day, we're rehearsing and then shooting. And I, I guess we, it was never, it was never, um, it was never choreographed. You know, it was it was all sort of improvisation, which I guess was the fun part. So for for maybe a couple of weeks beforehand, I they sent me all the it shows how old it was. They sent me all the VHS tapes of all the Queen videos and all the live concerts they did, and I would uh, I would run around my house with you know a broomstick pretending it was a microphone stand, and um, you know sort of stole moves that I was watching from Freddie, and and that was it. But even on film sets now, you know everybody will find out about that. All you have to do is Google me, and it will come up at some point. Um, mm.
1: uh, you know, what, I- what was going through your mind when you were performing as Freddie? Uh,
0: nothing that crazy, to be honest. I mean, I, I, you know, for me, I was just like, "This is this is a cool situation I'm in." You know there was also a little bit i guess of you know 12 13 year old embarrassment i mean they had me in a cat suit for crying out loud you know <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm wearing a wig and and a leotard and you know i you know i'm 12 years old a little a little girl so you know there was i'll, I'll wear that now from yeah. yeah. no there but there you go you know i've I've got one on right now um but <laughs> but you know I, I i sense i look a little different now but you know back then of course you know i, I was trying to be the the cool the cool kid who plays football and here i am you know with the wig and and the uh, skinny little arms you know but um but that aside i also had a lot of fun and and i just remember me in the band and i was you know a huge fan of 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 all of them but i, I really sort of gravitated you know uh, um, Ro- roger taylor just made me laugh i thought he's a real he's a real rock and roller like that guy's cool you know um and brian may was the sweetest um Deacon was very, very quiet and reserved, which you know I think is just shy in in, in life. And Freddie couldn't have been nicer. You know, he was very supportive and um, you know loved what we were doing. And you know they they definitely they definitely made a big deal out of it, as did the as did the press when the video came out.
1: What was it like emotionally becoming a child actor?
0: Uh, <clears throat> again, it wasn't really any big sweep for me. It was just. Um, I, I was always a naughty kid. I was a good naughty kid, you know? So I was I was mischievous. Um, and so I was always messing around at school. I was always uh, interested in making the girls laugh. And, um, you know, I, I I guess I was striving for an audience at an early age. Uh, and I wouldn't shut up. I was always talking. I was always, you know, talking throughout class. And so I think the teachers had had enough of me in one way and, and detention wasn't working, you know, when they were telling me to stop telling stories in class or whatever, detention wasn't working. Cause I was like, yeah, all right, I'll sit in detention and I'll write a story, you know, I was writing a lot when I was a kid. Um, and so I guess their punishment at that point, they said, all right, we're gonna make you join the after-school choir at your punishment. And that was a punishment. Cause I was like, I don't want to do this, it sounds awful. Um, and then I realized I had a voice as a kid. I could hold a tune, and uh, the the teachers paid attention to that. And it just goes to show you, you know, if you if you have good educators, they can really help shape your life. Um, and they they sort of noticed that perhaps I had a little something, and they encouraged me to go audition for uh, tours of shows that were coming to our local theatre. And I did that, and I ended up sort of been picked out by producers to have larger roles and, than most of the other kids. Um, and then, uh, but it was just a fun thing. It, it wasn't anything really that, you, you know, um, I think my parents probably, if you ask them, I think they sort of were really, um, blown away by it in the beginning because I was getting a lot of opportunities and I was getting hired in a lot of shows. Um, and, uh, but I think they then got tired, you know, cause that drive me everywhere, you know, they had to take me everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got into film that I just, that that's where my passion ended up uh, really being focused. And I've always, always, always been enthralled with cinema. Um, and that's that's why I, I guess I say it was a natural progress. There, there wasn't anything um, out of the ordinary for me. You know, as a kid, I grew up in an urban city and instead of getting into trouble at the weekends with my with my pals I would sneak off to the local cinema um and I found a way to climb onto the roof I wouldn't advise this to any kids now um but you know I'd shimmy up the drain I'd get on top of the cinema roof and there was a shed up there and I would get in the shed and on the on the shed floor there were these hot bulbs and I would pick the bulbs out and they were actually like the the lights from the inside of the theater in the ceiling, you know, when you look up and you have those twinkly little lights. Um, And so I used to take the bulb out and I would lay down and I'd watch the movies through that, through that hole. So I've always just been enthralled by it. And so I guess it just felt natural.
1: Can you describe the difference between working on a movie set compared to working on a TV set?
0: Uh, Yeah, time really. I mean, it depends on budget, but you know, if you've got a good budget on a film, you tend to have way more time to um you know, really develop and and really find, uh, really find the soul of a film. I guess on TV, TV is a business. You know, so it's it's you crank out an episode in eight days if you're lucky. You know, sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's nine, but you, usually it's around eight working days. So for you know Monday through Friday, and then through to the Wednesday, you're shooting that episodically, and you you tend to have a relatively large page count on a film that page count is smaller, so you have more time if you have budget. I've also done, you know, independent films that, you know, uh the budget is is crunched. And so it's you you gotta rattle through a lot of pages. In fact, the last film that I just directed was that. There was a lot of page counts and we just had to rattle through it every day. Um so I guess that's the difference is 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 time, you know, the the crews now it, it used to be you either did tv or film now it's both you know everybody does both everybody does tv everybody does film and that's actors crew writers producers directors everybody so the medium is still um you know a set as a set i don't really i don't really you know see a huge difference except for budget and time
1: what can you say to the potential actors who are starting out
0: now's the time it's um you know, I feel that in today's age, uh, everybody has everybody has access to live television in their pocket. You know, um, I notice it with a lot of youngsters now; they seem very comfortable in front of a camera, and I think that's because everyone's been running around with an iPhone and, and whatnot. You know, for me, it took it took a good couple of years of of some you know shitty mistakes to get comfortable knowing how to act, you know, I, I, I never went to drama school. I, 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 went, you know, and studied, um, for a year when I was a kid, but it, it wasn't drama school, it was more theater school. Um, and so I, I learned on set. And so I feel that people that are starting out now have a really great tool in their hand, you know, um, to be able to make film. Uh, and of course everybody can go out and shoot something now, edit, you know, uh, do the sound mix and all that that doesn't mean that there's natural talent there you know a lot of stuff that gets made isn't very good um but those that do strive for it and do have the talent and do have the the uh, i guess the confidence to go ahead and do it uh now now's a great time so i would just say get out there and do it yeah do you think that social
1: media is the future of movies and tv shows because there's a lot of independent people out there creating projects um, with like a with their friends instead of like a, a traditional means.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would hope not. <laughs> if I'm honest, I I love cinema and I love the art of film, and you know it does. And I'm guilty of it too. I watch things on my phone, you know, and I think that's such a not a shame because the the the, the um you know it's very good uh it's very good on your phone, you know. I mean, you know, the quality is very good on on the, on the iPhones now, but. No, do I think social media is a way forward? No, I, I, think, I think it's a, a good artistic way to, if you want to shoot a quick short film, if it's interesting and fun, great. I mean, we are in an age now where people are flicking through TikTok and Instagram and, you know, uh, the the span of of uh, audience awareness is, is dwindled. You know, people are literally, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? You know, and that's something that I'm, actually trying to do with a lot of the films that i'm doing right now is still breathe life into film you know i'm a big believer of you know not everything has to be you know four second cutaways you know you can actually sit down mm. and have an experience and watch a story and it may take a little while to get into that story you know and there's a lot of people that don't have that patience now because of technology um and i think that's a shame so i don't think it's the future i hope it's not the future of filmmaking. I think it's definitely a great angle to, you know, I've done it. I, I did two short films on Instagram, mm-hmm. and my quarantine Yay! films, you know, um, last year in quarantine, and, and we shot them in Rome and we got great, uh, great feedback from it. But that was it. You know what I mean? It, it was like, that's all I, I used it for. It's a, it's a short film, it's not changing cinema in any way.
1: Personally, what has been your greatest project? Oh,
0: that's a tricky one. You know, I've been so lucky. I shouldn't say lucky. I've been so blessed um, that I have been involved in certain projects that have withstood the test of time. You know, uh, Band of Brothers is is arguably still one of the greatest miniseries ever made, you know, uh, both business-wise and creatively-wise. You know, I still have people to this day talking passionately about that show that we shot 20 years ago you know um even green street uh it's called green street in the uk but green street hooligans in the us um again you know nobody is is claiming that, that is an orson welles film you know it's not citizen Kane. um it is what it is it's a, it's a bubble gum film but it it created an audience that still to this day i have people stop me and talk about that film um uh some of the tv shows that I've done you know White Collar has such a huge fan base still I get stopped daily for that you know um so I've been really blessed with uh with projects that I've done I've got some coming out you know the last few years for me I really wanted to start looking into developing a lot of projects that I feel passionately about and I've managed to you know, get a few of my films off the ground now, and and they're all it's coming up to the season where we're actually going to release them. So, about us is my uh, a film that I, I wrote and I star in um, that comes out uh, I think June this year. We're getting the release in the U.S. Um, and it's a beautiful emotional drama. You know, business wise is a hard sell when you're trying to sell a romantic drama. That's tough, but it you know, we've we've got a hundred percent foolproof rate. Right? Everybody who's watched it is emotionally invested and and uh really, really touched by it. And so I'm really proud of that. Um and I just directed my first film called Ayer, which is a script that I also wrote, which is the complete opposite to about us. You know, if about us is about love, Ire is about hate, really. So it's a little bit of a darker vehicle. Um but it's also uh, you know slightly poetic which is where I tend to lean you know I, I really enjoy the old greats that's who I learn from so there's a lot of long shots there's a lot of um, beautiful cinematography and um, uh, you know so I, I guess that's what five projects I would say that I'm really proud of but I'm, I'm proud of you know the Queen video was great <laughs>
1: What would you say are the different processes between directing a film or acting in it or writing in it?
0: Yeah, they're all different uh they're all different angles of filmmaking, you know. I'm, I'm you know, mm. I I steal from others when they say, you know, there's three there's three versions of a film. There's a script, there's the one you shoot, and there's the one you edit. Um and I I sort of believe in that. Acting is my first love. Um it's where I'm very comfortable. Um and I still you know, enjoy it. And that's, that's scene study, character study, learning your lines and hitting the mark, you know? So it's, 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 uh it's got that level of professionalism. It's your face. It's up on the screen. So you have to, um you know, hopefully find a, a team to work with that, that enables you all to uh, throw your ideas in the pot and, um, and collectively make something, uh, entertaining um writing is uh again i'm not the first to say it. it's you know it's an exciting place it can be a lonely place sometimes but but writing is exciting when you're in the zone but it you 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 have to get up and start writing i mean you know there's no way around it um nobody else there to help you you have to <laughs> you have to have a beginning a middle and an end you have to structure it in a certain way. Um, and this is, you know, things that I've learned through producing, even, you know, I've, I've been given a few producing vanity tags on films that I've started and that's allowed me to be in the edit room. That's allowed me to watch the process of a film coming together. And and it sort of teaches you on how a script needs to be developed. So, you know, the scripts I'll look I've been writing for, for years, you know, and the scripts I'll go back to and I'll look at and, you know, that they're great in dialogue and they're great in pizzazz, but perhaps the structure was a little off, you know, and I realized now, oh, okay, that's why we didn't get to make that film at that particular time. Um, so writing is a, is a different angle and directing, directing essentially is new to me in the sense of, I've just done my first feature film, but I guess I've just been on sets for 30 years. So I've been watching, that entire time, but not not necessarily. I've never really actually had the full desire to go and direct. To me it was always like if it came along it would come along. And and the reason I directed Ayer was I just knew I'd be a pain in the ass to any other director in the sense of I had so many ideas visually of what I wanted this film to be. And so uh between the producers and myself, we all discussed it and agreed. And, you know, the financing could get locked if I was attached as a director, and we decided to to take a stab at it. But I really enjoyed it. It, it but it didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't start wearing scarves and you know ridiculous hats and you know tout around shouting and yelling action. You know, I just um, collaborated with the actors, and it was my script, so I, I knew how I wanted it to play out. And uh, we actually had a really good time doing it. And you know, funnily enough, I wasn't anxious about it in any way. Um, I think that will probably come more in post, you know, making sure that it's good enough and people will be as excited as we are. Um, but the directing job doesn't just end on the set. I, I think that's the, the the big thing I learned when you write a script, once it's shot, you're kind of done, you know, um, when you're acting, once you've shot the movie, you're kind of done, you know, you've got press to do and you've got ADR to do, but essentially that's it on that gig with directing you know you have to be in the edit room and you have to make various decisions afterwards you have to cut to time you have to choose music you have to uh you know do all these other things that's actually really wonderful and and that's been eye-opening
1: what is the biggest challenge you would say as being an actor the
0: biggest challenge uh i mean you know there's 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 pros and cons acting is a is an art form you know it's it's it really is something that's ingrained in you. It's not something that, you know. I think everybody thinks they can act or or could be an actor, and I've spoken to many people that have tried it, and you know, in their first try, go, yeah, I'm not doing this again. Um, there's, uh, there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of uh, brain work which goes into it. I mean, you know, before you even start a job. You know if you're lucky enough to be offered a, a a role and you don't have to audition you you know you're reading that script you're starting to get your brain working you're starting to learn those lines which you know sounds easy and you know i guess it is relatively easy but you know if you have to learn 15 pages in one night or five pages in a night you know that's that's actually kind of tough to to get your brain going um so the challenges are, are really those silly little challenges that eventually you get through um when you're auditioning for something of course you know you 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 learn the lines and you um have a very short time frame in which to do that normally and you don't really have much time to develop a character per se so it's more about okay it's a visual field you know if you look right you'll get the role if you you know don't throw up on your shoes. You'll you'll be okay. And uh, I guess the challenges are you're living in a world of realistically not knowing what's coming, you know, the year after next. If you're lucky enough, you have two or three jobs lined up. So, you know, you're busy for the next 12 months. Um, But I guess you have to be very, very comfortable in the uncertainty. So, you know, you don't actually know what's around the corner, whether that's, you know, once this TV show finishes, and you don't know what you're doing next, or whether it's I don't know what I'm doing in three years once you know this series is over or this movie's over, and so you have to be you have to be tough. You know, you have to be tough to. It's it's. Uh, I remember Tom Hanks saying to me many years ago, and he's so right. You know, it's it's a tough business, and you have to have thick skin, because there's a lot of rejection too. You know, as an actor there's a there's an awful lot of pluses and it's wonderful when it happens but you have to have tough skin because people will say no to you
1: how do you get into the mindset when you're preparing for a role uh
0: again it varies depends on the character depends on the situation you're in most times for me um you know i'm i'm getting a little older now too so you know my days of 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 method um (laughs) <laughs> are sort of very stretched out. I think a lot of actors have read a book on method and they go, oh, a method. And, you know, I don't think being method means that you have to sit, you know, um, if you're playing a paraplegic, you know, I, I don't think you have to sit in a wheelchair for two months before you start rolling the camera. I mean, some people will, you know, very famously Daniel Day-Lewis did that way back when for uh, my left foot. and And I understand that. I understand trying to stay in the moment but I also feel that, you know, Laurence Olivier once famously said to Dustin Hoffman when when Hoffman was was getting into his message, you know, where he said, just try acting, dear. Um, and I think that's that's a true statement. That's something that really is interesting. You know, acting is acting. If, if I'm playing a heroin addict, I'm probably not going to go out and try heroin. I think, you know, I'm conscious enough to read a script, if there's, if I'm playing a real character, I do as much research as I can on that character, perhaps, you know, look at his silly little things like his hairstyle or the shoes he wore or whatever it is for me just to go, okay, now I'm starting to feel something there. Um, if it's a fictitional character, then, you know, the development of that character could be on your own or you get to speak to the writer and the producer and the director and you, uh, you know, swap ideas back and forth. Um, but a lot of the times you're kind of on your own and, you know, it really does boil down to hit your mark and say your lines, you know, um, if you, if you're a decent actor, I think you can, you can dig in to what you need to dig into literally that 30 seconds before they roll camera.
1: What research did you put into create Band of Brothers?
0: Yeah. Band was a lot of research because, um, again, we're playing real men, uh, of easy company, um, I'm obviously a Brit and I'm playing an American. Um, I'm Catholic and I'm playing a Jew. Um, I don't speak other languages and I have to speak German fluently. So there was much, there was much for me to dig into. And, and funnily enough, we didn't have a lot of info about Liebgut himself. Um, A lot of the guys, not just, you know, not just, out of our main core, there was a lot of guys with with perhaps smaller roles in the show that had, you know, Bibles full of information on the man that they were playing. You know, they had packages full and, and folders of pictures and letters and uh, phone numbers of family members and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I I had a manila envelope with one picture. Uh, that was it. That's all we had on Lead Girl and the book. And so before the show, obviously, I I knew about the show and the book was in my in my satchel and I was reading it as often as I could. Um, In those days, 20 years ago, the library was still a big source of uh, information. And so, you know, I would go and read up on the paratroopers. I would it's usually different little things that I do. I don't necessarily go full in on that one particular thing. I I tend to like, I learned the paratroopers song, you know, for whatever reason, I wrote it down and I would sing it during the day. And then during my auditions, I remember going in to meet Tom Hanks on my second audition. And um, I had, you know, paperwork just full of my own handwriting and scribbles on the script. And, just, uh, you know, the paratrooper things and how they blouse their trousers over their boots. And, you know, and I wore like a peacoat, I think, because it was the only sort of army thing that I felt. But, you know, again, if I'm reading for a doctor, I'm not going to go dressed as a doctor, but I just, there was something that I needed to feel, you know, something uh, time-wise. Um, and so band, band was like an extensive research. And then once we were doing the show, you know, I, I really extensively researched the Holocaust um, because that was a huge episode for the show, but also for my character. And although I knew much about that through my my uh, own education, there was there was vast amounts that I was unaware of or, or wasn't told. And so um, I went deep into that, into the Jewish faith. Um, I remember even at boot camp, uh, David Schwimmer and I, um, David Schwimmer plays Ross and Friends. People who know him, um, and he was playing Sobel, and uh, and he was very kind and gracious, and and allowed me to really talk about the Jewish faith with him. I wanted to know more about that. I wanted to 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 know more about, you know, the background of this American Jewish man who had a German grandmother, and I found that fascinating. You know that he actually spoke fluent German. And so then I would speak to dialect coaches. I would obviously speak to you know, German speakers, and uh, I'd have to learn it phonetically and in parrot fashion. Um, so yeah, there, there was there was a lot of research, as well as the physical research. I mean, Leibgot was very very slight in weight, and I was a slender kid anyway. But I had a even I had to drop pounds to match his weight, and he was I think 130 pounds, and I got down to 135. Um, and if I were to do that now, I would probably do that through the proper dietary system but back then you know i was smoking drinking and doing push-ups and that was my <laughs> that was my work yeah. <laughs> which i wouldn't advise
1: uh, what are you working on currently i'm like-
0: uh, i'm doing the the last bit of post for about us um my film uh that we shot in italy um the romantic drama um we are also in post on ire which is my prison drama um which is all set within the confines of a prison cell um and it's a it's a brutal tale, a very sad tale about a prisoner serving a double life sentence. And um he's given a cellmate for the first time in a long time. And it's a a young guy from the estate that he grew up in. And it's you know, a relationship between a seasoned prisoner and a and a and a young gang member. So we're in post with that. Um I'm shooting a TV show for Apple. Uh, I can't say too much about it because I've signed an NDA, but um, I'm back and forth from London and New York shooting that. Um, and I think I might be off to do uh, a Danish TV show. Uh, we're just working out the kinks in the deal now. Um, so that's what we've got going on.
1: Ah, great. What are the skills you picked up throughout the years working as an actor?
0: Skills. I need to ask my missus. She'd say, what skills? Um, um <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess, uh, uh, patience, <laughs> which is something, you know, I still struggle with day to day. Cause you know, you, you just want to get up and going and come on, why is the world not moving as quickly as I need it to, you know? So you have to be patient. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, I sound like a cliche with a lot of these things that I'm saying, but they're true. Um, I guess um, you know gratitude is something I've I've learned. Is that a skill? Probably not. It's more of a feeling, isn't it? Um, the skills I guess is is learning how a film or a television show is is put together. Um, writing has obviously become something that uh, I do more and more often. Um, sometimes you know you have to drag yourself drag yourself out of bed to force yourself to the computer. Cause sometimes, you know, if you're having writer's block, it's uh, that patience thing comes in again. So, you know, I, I guess, yeah, my skills are, you know, a lot of people skills you, you hopefully develop. Not every actor does, you know, there's a lot of actors that, <laughs> that don't have great social skills. Um, but for me, I think that's important. What do you normally do when you have writer's I have block? A cup of tea. Have a cup of tea and uh I don't know. I mean, I think for me, Ryder's block, uh I I knock wood get through it pretty quickly if I force myself to keep writing. So, you know, sometimes you can go out for a walk mm, and, you know, mm. clear your head and, and whatnot, and everybody has their own thing. I feel that if you just keep just keep pushing through, you'll get through the crack and eventually eventually it's on.
1: And if I ever have a creator's blog, I normally just go to the gym for 30 minutes. Yeah, or sure. To break I mean, I think the that's day.
0: the the idea is is you, you know, it's that whole thing. The more you you know, it's good to focus and put your intent on something, but then you've kind of got to let it go. And if you're gripping tightly to it, then you're probably not going to go as far as you need. So breaking up that day is essential. And by going at the gym, going for a walk, walking the dog, um, you know, heck, throw on some music. I don't know. You know, watch it watch something else that takes your mm. focus away from it i think resets it and rebalances it and that allows you to go back in
1: yeah have some uh, excitement happening because when you're just sitting in the room and really trying to focus on it it's just like trying to go to sleep if you're thinking about going to sleep and you try yeah, to force I mean, look, it I mean, you there's, never will there's
0: spiritual guides out there that will say that you know it's good to put your intent out there but then let it go you know if you're if you're holding on to you know, if you grab some sand in your fist and you hold onto it tightly, it's going to squeeze out the side of your hands. If you just open your palm, it will just sit there in the palm, you know? So there is something to that, to just find in a relaxing spot. I think that's the other thing. I think you have to be kinder to yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's okay if mm, you hit It's okay if you don't do it that day, you know, as long as you're not really on a deadline crunch, it's okay, you know?
1: that everybody has so many high expectations about themselves but me personally, I'm always trying to become better and better. But I know for a fact that when I reach that goal, it's not going to be satisfying enough. So yeah, I need to I find think, something I mean, else to what we do.
0: do. As, as a species is we go, well, we want to hit that goal because of A, B, C, and D because, you know, I need it now, I need it now, I need it now. And, and I think that comes out of desperation in a way of, <laughs> saying well you know is this is this really it's okay to take your time like what you want is going to happen but you have to trust in that process and you have to allow it and if you are you know putting your hand around the throat of it it's not going to breathe so it may happen you know with your mm. project you may get it done by next week and you'll be fine or it might take a month and if it takes a month then guess what you'll be happy with that outcome Um, but only if you are relaxed in the process, if you're uptight about it, it's just going to cause more angst and more misery, you know? So um, I think it's about letting Mm. life be as it is and just trusting the fact that it will come, but just not on your timeline. You you have to allow it to, to come universally.
1: When you're sitting back and critically thinking in a third person perspective on any project that you do and have a realistic plan, then it just takes time Absolutely. for that plan and to really succeed. And I think succeed. you know, I mean,
0: that's that's just reminded me of you know a, a great book by Napoleon Hill that everybody probably knows. You know, Think and Grow Rich, and it's not necessarily about finance, but it's about life. And if you if you have a plan, yeah, you know, you you can't listen. You can't just sit on your couch and eat potato chips and expect the phone to ring. You know, you have to have a plan of action. But as long as that's done in a in a way that is kind to yourself and to others, um, that plan will eventually come. You know, you feel it. You feel it in your gut. You know when you're doing something that you like, eh.
1: Do something that you're motivated in, but be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm going out there and doing something, sometimes I'm not yeah. that nice to, uh, to me. Like I'm either going out there for, um, because I either feel like with working out or working on a new project, I always have that feeling behind me and it's it's like a fire, really like pushing me out. But I think that when I'm more kind, I get things done quicker well, because and you're easier. Because I mean, You can
0: still have that <laughs> that proverbial fire in your belly, that's good to have that desire, because you do need desire, you know, but you need you need desire, you need trust, you need um uh you need to breathe, you know. And so if if you can mm. just have acceptance of and being comfortable in the uncertainty of it i think that's the problem that we have as a a human race is we want the answers now we want to know now and the truth is that's not how energy works energy works in in a time it will come but you have Mm. to trust that process and the more that you grasp at it the more it's like trying to catch a helium balloon by the string you know if you keep snatching at it it, you know, the wind from your hand creates the ribbon to move and you don't catch it and it flies off. If you just take your time and gently and go, you know, you get it. Do
1: you awesome. ever meditate?
0: I mean, I go through phases like everybody else. I go through phases of, of, you know, uh, mm. doing Deepak's 21 day, which is great. I would advise that for anybody. He does them, you know, two, three times a year. Um, and then there's times where I'll, my day gets busy or I'll forget or, something or other. And then I'm, you know, three days behind. And so I go, okay, now I've got to do three in a row. And that's an hour. And now it's like, oh, you know. Um, and so there's times I'm great at it. There's times where I absolutely have it down and I get a good 20 minutes every day. And and then there's times I'll go months without doing it. And I go, hmm, I should really go back and reconnect to that.
1: Has COVID-19 changed the film industry? And what do you think will be uh, in the I future?
0: Think so. I think it has. Um, I think it's changed it. Oh no! You know, well, I I wouldn't say it's it's a groundbreaking change. I mean, what it's certainly done is there's now cove rules. I mean, you know, I get tested three times a week now when I'm working. You know, um, and so that's a brand new thing. Everyone's wearing masks uh, up until a certain point. You know, and the actors can remove their masks, so that's a new thing. Um, certain things had to be changed. Um, locations had to be changed, scenes had to be changed, you couldn't be close to certain people at certain things, I think that's loosened up a little now I've shot two projects during COVID Um, one was my film that was all self-contained, so that was relatively easy once everybody had been tested and cleared Um, and you know, everyone else just has to suck it up and wear the mask And, uh, and then the TV show, the same thing, you know has it changed, yeah, the theaters we've got a lot of we've lost a lot of movie chains, um, which saddens me uh, there's not a lot of product around right now, which is um I guess bad as a consumer, but good if you are you know in the producing seat, like you know i I have a couple of finished films now, so that will probably help us in our independent film state that will help us that we're not having to go up against star Wars. You know, I'm sure star Wars don't like hearing that, but at least we've got, you know, room now that people can see our film.
1: So what's in the future for Uh, you? Who knows?
0: You know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm plodding along. I'm I'm doing the projects that we're doing. Um, I think we're going to go shoot a movie in, uh, in Tennessee um, just after the summer, which will be fun. Uh, That's a, that's a, a thriller but a, a very beautifully shot thriller um i'm getting married this year so you know not personal um upsides we were supposed to get married last year and we pushed it because of uh, of the situation so we'll be doing that and um and that's it thank you very much thank congratulations you. by the way and, you know yeah. just uh, keeping out of trouble that's 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 the plan you know, keep moving, keep making our films. And like I say, I've got I've got three films coming out this year. I've got um The Good Traitor, which is a, a Danish film I shot in, in Budapest in 2019, um, with my good friend Ulrich Thompson, um, Denise Goff and myself. Uh, and then we have About Us, which is with myself, uh, Alessandro Mastronari, Alison Miller and uh then we have ire will be coming out this year as well i know we've already been picked up for distribution in the uk so we're going to be looking at some of the uh, some of some of my favorite festivals just see if we can get a little love there um and uh and that's it so yeah keep it busy keeping out of trouble
1: beautiful Alan, thank totally you so much for being a part it. of a the pleasure. show